Our reading of scripture this evening is found on Genesis in on Genesis 15. Genesis 15 beginning at verse 1. Thus reads God's holy word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring indeed. One born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us flee to the triune God. O Father of lights, we pray that you would enlighten us, enliven us, illuminate us, that you would send forth your Spirit, O Lord, to encourage us, strengthen us, as we hear the words of your scriptures read and delivered, O Lord, may sinful hearts not spurn them, but may hearts set free from sin and bondage receive them as Christ's words. O Lord, we pray that your word would be efficacious to the salvation of your people and to their sanctification. O Lord, that we would be wiser upon hearing your word, that we would fall ever deeper in love with the Savior presented in it. Lord, we pray and ask for the Spirit's help in hearing and hearts that seek to understand. 
We ask this in Jesus' name by the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our sermon this evening comes from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we will back up to chapter 10, verse 39. God's word reads, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child, and she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, friends, I, a number of years ago, I used to work as a civilian sailing overseas. I was responsible for bringing the ship from point A to point B, and every time we would go into or out of a port, all of the officers would get together with the ship's navigator, and he would explain to us where we were going and how we were going to get there. And a good navigator rarely tried something new, but would frequently tread on old waterways looking at the same charts. 
In that part of the world, ships had been traveling there, those waters for centuries. And so we should follow the same path that our predecessors did. And like a good navigator, the writer to the Hebrews brings us in chapter 11 through these old paths of faith. Chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Faith. It recounts saint after saint after saint, men and women who endured by faith the trials set before them. See, the book of Hebrews is this extended exhortation, as we learned earlier, to believe in the sufficiency of Christ in and over all things. All Old Testament sacrifices find their fulfillment in him. All the prophets pointed to him. All the line of kings end with Christ. The priests are no longer needed for his sufficient intercession and work. And in chapter 10, Christ exhorts his people to endure. And in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews unpacks what a life of endurance looks like. As we walk through this text, I present to you three questions that will help us navigate this passage. First, what is a life of perseverance? What is a life of perseverance, verses 1 to 3? Second, what does a life of perseverance look like, verses 4 to 12? And third, we will consider, is a life of perseverance worth it, verses 13 to 16? So first, what is a life of perseverance, verses 1 to 3? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony by faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So a life of perseverance, what is a life of perseverance? Well, first and chiefly, it is marked by faith in God's promises, faith in God's word. This expression marked by faith, when he says, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, what the writer is getting at isn't a systematic definition. He's giving an experiential definition. And we understand that because in uh, chapter 10, verse 39, where it says, who, we who believe to the saving of our soul, the ESV renders it, we, the word is pastuo, faith. It is this act of faith. It is this believing that he's talking about, that subjective nature. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that belief look like? What is faith objectively? would help help us understand what this subjective experience is. Well, our shorter catechism helpfully defines faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. When we think of a life of perseverance by faith, it includes a knowledge of saving faith. It's understanding who Christ is, what he has done, what he's done in history. But it's not just there. It's not just understanding the historical facts about Christ. It's also understanding that they're true. And you can, there are many people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ saying, yes, I believe he's true. I once knew a man who believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and then quickly said, but I don't believe he is God. So we have those first two parts of faith, a knowledge of the truth and a sense that it is true, but then there's that third portion where you actually trust. But it's not just that Jesus died for sinners, but that he died for me, a sinner. This knowledge, assent, and trust is the, the hallmark of saving faith. 
We know it's a gift from Ephesians 2, that we were dead in sins and our trespasses, made alive by Christ. By grace, we've been saved through faith as a gift. We are his workmanship. And we know that it's never divorced. Saving faith is never divorced from the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith can never be divorced from God's word. So when we talk about a life of perseverance that's marked by faith, it is always marked by faith in God's word. What God has said is true. This life of perseverance is marked chiefly by faith or believing in the God of the scriptures. Faith is the substance or conviction of hope in God's word. It's a strong, confident reliance upon Christ. Faith knows the promises of God. Faith recognizes them, and faith trusts them. Things hoped for. This wonderful language of things hoped for, it's this expectation that what God says will come true. What God says will come true. It's the the language that's used uh, for assurance or things hoped for. It's a, it's a legal term. Think of a deed on a house. Some of us have bought a house. You know that when you sign the paperwork and the, the notary stamps it, you own the house, but you only have the paper in hand. The house isn't yet yours. So this assurance of things hoped for, it is yours. The possession that God promises are yours, though you only have the paper right now. By faith, we rest in the present grace that God has given, and we hope in the future glory he will one day bring. A life of perseverance. In verse 2, we see what a life of perseverance gets summarized as. In verse 2 in chapter 11, really summarizes the whole chapter of chapter 11. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. The elders obtained a good testimony. The people of old trusted in the promises of God. If God has saved people this way for all of this time, there wasn't a different way of salvation in the Old Testament, a new way in the New. There's always been the same way. We've always been saved by faith. And we are saved in the same way. And while they had the shadowy promises, and we of the substance, we can have a more sure faith. And if God saved them, when as we go through the list of Abel and Enoch and so on, and you think of how much of God's word they had, maybe only a handful of promises. While we have a whole Bible full of not just the promises of God, but the accomplished work of God, how much more sure by faith we can be in our faithful God. If he can save them, he can save us. He can save us. And his promises to sinners to save them remains. Life and perseverance is marked by faith in God's word. And what's interesting is that the writer to the Hebrews, before he gets to any people, before he gets to any of the nitty-gritty promises he's made to Abel, to Enoch, to Noah, to Abraham, and to Sarah, what he does is he presents a, a remarkable statement. He begins with creation. Where he says, by faith we understand The worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God's word says many incredible things. It's remarkable that God's word begins with one of the most remarkable facets ever, that all of creation, 
all of reality as we understand it, all of the laws of physics, all of matter, all of this began because God spoke it into existence. Everything out of nothing. And if God can do that, something so impossible from a human perspective, surely any promise he makes in Scripture is easy for him to fulfill. All things are easy for him to fulfill. The unseen comes of creates the seen. And God, as creator, reveals this to his people that we can trust. If he can do such marvelous things as an act of creation, surely he can do anything as an act of salvation. God so powerfully is so powerful that his word is able to create the entire cosmos, then you and I should never doubt his ability or his desire to fulfill his promises. A life of perseverance is marked by faith in what God has said. And unlike the five individuals we will soon explore who had such a limited Bible, you and I have a complete word. Their faith was true and genuine and rested in Christ, though they only had the shadow. Yet you and I see the complete fulfillment in Christ alone. Dear one, believe in the promises of God. Follow our forebears as they followed the Lord. Turn from your sin. Know that God is a savior to sinners. Christ, our forebears, believed in all of the promises of God as we're about to go through. They lived a life of perseverance by faith. What does such a life of perseverance by faith look like? You see in verses 4 and following to 12. Well, we see the several figures referenced in verses 4 to 12. They illustrate the general paradigm of all believers that more or less we follow in their footsteps as they followed Christ. A life of perseverance by faith is revealed in all aspects of life. You read in verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And th- through it, though being dead, he still speaks. Now, as many of us recognize, we think of Abel as he worshipped by faith. We, we always, as we come to these men, it's always important to remember we, we read the Old Testament in light of the New. And we read the Old Testament informed by the old. We come to Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, and we all, I'm sure, are familiar with the story. Adam and Eve had their first generation of children, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel took after their sinful parents. And, but before that, they worshipped the Lord. Abel offering animals for sacrifice, and Cain offering uh, fruits of the earth. Abel was accepted. Cain was rejected. Cain eventually would kill his brother. And it's important to remember that when we consider this life of faith, that Abel was not accepted because he offered something better than Cain. That would be works righteousness, as if if he just made a better sacrifice, if Cain had only made a better sacrifice, he would have been accepted. Well, that's not the case. Abel was accepted because his sacrifice revealed by God that it was a witness that he was righteous in God's sight. He only had Genesis 3.15 as a promise. The head of the woman would crush. The head of the serpent would be crushed by the seed of the woman. God made a promise after making that declaration. He made a promise. That promise, he killed an animal and then covered Adam and Eve. And Abel appears to be offering his sacrifice in that manner. He worships in faith. He came to God believing God will have mercy on him like he had mercy on his parents. 
Well, then we come to Enoch, who walked by faith. In verses 5 and 6, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch walked with God. We only have a handful of verses of this man of faith. He walked with God, and he was not for God. Took him. And it almost is a, is a line in scripture that almost you want to speculate over. What do, you, what do you mean he just took him? What do you mean he just, he walked with God. He didn't, he didn't die. He didn't taste death. Well, why? Well, because he had faith. He believed God. He walked with the Lord in such a manner and in such a way that the Lord and his graciousness took him. And we know we had faith, as our text reads, because it is impossible to please God outside of faith. And hear that again, that you and I have no hope, no hope at all, apart from faith in Christ. Our works mean nothing. Who we are, who our parents are, how long or how good we are mean nothing. Our head may be filled with the most perfect theological knowledge, reformed for decades, Our hands could be perfectly calloused with good works, but if our heart is not united to Christ, it means nothing. But God rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, I am a committed Calvinist. I believe in the supreme sovereignty of God to save sinners, to save his people whom he has chosen from eternity past and reveals throughout history. But remember the context God is exhorting you right now to believe and seek him by faith, to be exhorted and encouraged to be like Enoch, who walked by faith with God and was rewarded for that faith. Yes, that God has given, but he walked in light of the faith given to him. Remember the context. Enoch walked with God, and dear brothers and sisters, I know it can be a challenge, especially if you've been a Christian many years, to continue that walk And to wonder, is walking with the Lord still worth it? Well, Enoch walked with God, and we see the fruits of his walk. He was taken up into heaven. And that will one day be all of us, though the Lord will not likely physically take us from this earth without dying and bring us to heaven. But as we walk with the Lord, as we persevere, we will see the Lord in person, especially at the resurrection where we will physically be able to walk and physically be able to kneel before our Lord. Abel worshipped in faith. Enoch walked by faith. And Noah worked in faith, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. We see the life of Noah in Genesis 6 to 9. He was warned of the coming destruction, the flood that was going to destroy all life. He preached righteousness, as recorded in Peter. And he trusted God as the judge that he was. But he also trusted God as Savior. And it's always important to remember that the the God of justice is the God of salvation. That the God who brought the flood is also the same God who closed the ark with his finger. 
tenderly protecting his people as the waters of judgment fell. And that is the the beauty of our Lord, isn't it? We, by faith, rest, not just in a God who is just, though we do, but we rest in a God who is merciful and who saves his people by faith, not because Noah deserved it. We know he was a sinner. Unlike Abel, who we have no recorded sin, or Enoch, who we have no recorded sin, we know Noah was a drunkard. We know even after seeing the whole world uh, drowned, he still sinned. And yet God in his mercy still saved such a man, not because he deserved it, but by faith, because Noah trusted in the Lord. Then we come from Noah, who worked by faith, to Abraham, who obeyed by faith, verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which his foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham did perhaps one of the the scariest things you could do is stepping out in faith, having absolutely no idea where you're going, but knowing that God does. And you may be in a particular season like that, a stranger in exile, and you're feeling it more palpably now than you ever have. Perhaps economic uncertainty, perhaps you know people who have lost jobs or moving, you may have children who are in a difficult time of life, or you may not know where the Lord is calling you to do or calling you to be, or even as a congregation. I know for RPC, with the potential of a new building, with the potential of a new pastor, with the potential of all these new things, our church is going through a frightening time. And you all know what it's like to have different buildings, different places to worship, not having a minister, having a minister, having different places to worship, all the challenges and differences in life and not knowing where is the Lord going to lead us. Abraham was the same way. In fact, Abraham had it worse. He not only didn't just have to go from cross town to cross town, he left the nation. He left his home, he left his family, he left his people. He abandoned it all to follow where God was leading him. He stepped out in faith and he went to a surprising place. He dwelt as a sojourner in his own land. Could you imagine renting your own house? Knowing that your house was yours, this beautiful mansion, And you get to it, and you're like, this is my house, and you now have to pay rent to it. Because it's not yet yours, but it's promised to you, to your descendants. This man of faith never possessed the land promised to him. In fact, neither did he, neither did his descendants for 400 more years. This man of faith had to live in a tent, and he was satisfied in doing so because he knew what was coming. He knew he was coming, and he trusted in who was building his home. Now, some of you may be able to build a house. Some of you may know men who can build houses. My father-in-law is such a man. I most certainly am not. And if you know someone who's good at building houses, you trust in their workmanship. right? You rest and, okay, I know they put the studs in place. I know they can sheetrock. I know they built the roof right. If it was my house, you probably shouldn't enter. But with that such a man... 
And you can trust in such men like that who can, are handy in that way. Abraham was doing the same thing. He trusted in someone who would perfectly build the house, the nation, the land of promise. He trusted in the Lord who was building him a city and a foundation for him, for all of God's people. And you think of that wonderful promise of Christ as he was leaving his disciples. And he says, I go to prepare a room for you, to prepare personally a place for you to come into the presence of the living God. Well, Abel worshipped, Enoch walked, Noah worked, Abraham obeyed and walked out in faith. And we come now to Sarah, who was strengthened by faith in verses 11 to 12. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the sky, multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Sarah was strengthened by faith. Though she doubted, though she laughed, hence her son's name being Isaac, meaning laughter. Though she had those moments of doubt, she ultimately believed that the Lord had led us safely this far, and I will believe until the end. Because of her faith, because she believed, she's blessed to be called the mother of a nation. And brothers and sisters, while Abel worshipped by faith, I exhort you this day, enter the Lord's house trusting the way Abel did. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as the finished and final sacrifice of God. As Enoch walk, so walk, keeping in step with the Spirit of Christ. As Abraham, as Noah worked by faith, rest, hear that the judgment is coming. The rains are coming, the clouds are gathering. But in Christ, we have an ark so secure that judgment has been satisfied. As Abraham obeyed and walked out in faith, I would encourage you to follow such ancient paths as the ancient patriarch. Pursue the land that is built by God himself. Pursue the land. A life of perseverance by faith through all the complexities and difficulties of this life is a challenge. All of the people we've read of died never actually receiving the promise yet. They suffered reproaches. They suffered rebukes. In Abel's case, he was killed. We know that the life was constantly threatened of Abraham and Sarah. We know the entire people of the history of God has always been a constant and consistent challenge. So the question can rightly be asked, I think. This life of perseverance by faith that we see lived out throughout history in the lives of God's people, is this life of perseverance worth it? Is it worth it? Well, when I was sailing and listening to those navigator briefs, I was instantly more attentive if the port was good. If the destination was worth it, the better the destination, the more equipped I was to endure the life and challenges at sea. So is a life of perseverance by faith through these various challenges worth it? Well, verses 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. 
And truly, if they had called to mind that country for which they had come out, they would have held opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This life of perseverance is lived out by faith in the promises of God and the great promise held out by God, the great destination is his own divine presence and pleasure. The life of perseverance by faith reveals that we are pilgrims with nowhere else to go and with no better destination than God himself. We are strangers and pilgrims, as it says in verse 13 and 14. This is a characteristic of God's people. We see this again and again and again. Even, you know, in Genesis, you have God's people being established. Exodus, they're saved. And as they go through the numbers and the wilderness wanderings, they get to the end of Deuteronomy, and they're still outside the land. But the cornerstone of the scriptures, the Torah, those first five books, ends with God's people predominantly still being a people in exile. And when they conquer the land, they then sin and are exiled again. And they go to Babylon, then they return. But Nehemiah laments. He says, we have just but a tent peg in the land. And exile still remains to be revealed. There still needs a revival of the people in the land. That there is still no home. We remember in 1 Peter. Peter addresses his strangers and exiles. That we are characteristically a people who are not home yet. We were designed to be in communion with God. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And since the garden, there has been a perpetual homesickness in the heart of man. We were meant to dwell with God, and now we don't. And now that is the issue, that we live this life just passing through until we see the Lord again. This life of perseverance is a life with two passports. We live in our own country, the United States, as citizens, to to do well to the nation that the Lord has put us in. But we have a heavenly country, a divine passport held by Christ in glory. We live in this land, but glimpse the one to come. Just as the people of faith of old, we glimpse heaven, especially on the Lord's Day, particularly on the Lord's Day where we get a glimpse with the people of God as we worship the Lord, sing his praises, pray with his people, hear his word. We get a glimpse, and just a glimpse. And just like the people of old, it is a glimpse that causes us to keep going. It's just like glimpsing the sun just below the horizon. You know it is coming up. You know it will be warm. You know it will chase out the darkness, and you know it's coming. And just as we know as God's people through all the trials and tragedies of life, Christ is coming. He's going to be here soon. So these men believed in the coming of the Son. And by faith we travel this land because there's nowhere else to go, as he reminds us in verse 15. these, These people step out in faith. Abraham leaving, particularly Abraham leaving his country. And he could be tempted to return. This land of Canaan, I'm alone, I'm by myself, threatened by enemies on all sides. I own nothing, I have no friends, I have no army. Where am I to go? Well, he can't go back. Yeah, you think of uh, Jesus was preaching and his disciples begin leaving him after he 
teaches a particularly challenging thing, and he asks Peter and his apostles, will you also leave me? Do you remember Peter's response? Where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And dear ones, when we think of this life, as we persevere despite temptations, I would urge you to never turn back to the old country you left. Never turn back to former ways or patterns of thinking. Don't turn back to former sins. Especially, gentlemen, we think of the sin of pornography that so enravishes our culture and destroys young men and old men and destroys and decimates marriage. Do not return to such a sin. And thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that by his grace, by looking to Christ, persevering in faith, That sin has no control over you. And that sin can and shall be broken by God's grace as any and all sins and any and all temptations. Flee from the former country. Don't look back. There's nothing there. But persist to Christ. Resist and persevere because there is nowhere better to go. We read this wonderful Wonderful verse in verse 16. The destination itself is a heavenly country. Now, this might seem like a silly question, but what is so great about heaven? Is, it, is heaven great just because there's no suffering? Is heaven great just because our, you know, we come from a godly line, we'll see our ancestors who've prayed for us and been there? Is heaven great because our friends will be there? Is heaven great because there'll be no sickness or sadness? Why is heaven a worthy destination? It's for none of those reasons, though we get all of those. The reason heaven is a worthy destination is because that is where communion with the living God is. And it is in communion with the living God that our highest joy is, our ultimate reality of joy and wonder, marvel, the majesty of the living God, communion with the triune God. That is the destination. God is there. And you know, you you read this, this wonderful statement. They seek a heavenly country, a better country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You think of that statement. God is not ashamed to be called their God. You think of yourself, for self-reflection, I think of all of my own sins, how unworthy I am. You read of Abraham sleeping with Hagar, lying constantly about his wife being his sister. You think of Sarah mocking God, laughing at the promise initially. You're like, those are the people that God's not ashamed of? You think of all the litany of saints as as you read the rest of chapter 11. You have men like David, men like Jephthah, men like Moses, sinner after sinner after sinner. And you're like, God's not ashamed of those people? No. Because in Christ, he has... He just sees the perfections of his son upon you. No guilt, no sin, no shame. God is not ashamed to call all of us weak, wounded, mangy sheep his. But what wondrous love is this, that God is not ashamed of you if you are in the son. God has prepared a city. That's why the ultimate comfort in the book of Revelation isn't just the judgment of the wicked. 
It's the salvation and preservation of the saints. The Bible doesn't end with just all the enemies of God being destroyed, though it's in the book of Revelation. But it ends with the city of the living God coming down, where there's no need for light because God is our light, where life flows from his throne and his saints are around the throne. And God has prepared such a city for you and I, dwelling again in the presence of the living God. By beginning with Abel, the writer of Hebrews is highlighting that we have been awaiting a return to the garden. And after the revelation of Jesus Christ, we see that we get something better than a mere garden. We get the city of the living God, who's built it for his people, whose greatest resident is God himself. Persevere in faith, dear ones. Believe in Christ, who we love. Though we do not see him, we believe and rejoice with a joy inexpressible that we will receive the salvation of our souls. Rest in God, who is not ashamed to be called your God, for you have no sin more costly than the blood of Christ. Leave Sinai and come to Calvary. Leave your guilt, your shame, your sin, and come to the living God who has prepared a city for you. Let us pray. O good and gracious God, We marvel at such a faith as described. Oh Lord, we marvel that there is such a city, such a homeland for us. We who are strangers and exiles, we who have no permanent home here, we who are just passing through in so many ways. Oh Lord, would you preserve us? Would we endure by faith the saving of our souls? knowing, O Lord, that we each have a room prepared by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who beckons us even now to persevere, to continue on believing the promises of God, for just as sure as the heavens and earth declare your glory, just as sure as you kept your promise to Abel to accept his worship, to Enoch who walked by faith, to Noah to save him from judgment, as surely as you have promised Abraham a living and abiding possession in the land of promise, we can be ever more sure. For all the promises of Christ, of God, find their yes and amen in Christ alone. Oh Lord, would you... Help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to chart a course, as it were, to him, to the heavenly country. May we walk by faith in the Son of God, resting not in our own steps, but resting that the Spirit of God guides us, indwells us, walks with us, enables us to strive, not in our own strength, never in our own strength. For why would we Walk in our own power, and we have the power of God himself, enabling us by faith to pursue. O Lord, bless us this day, we pray in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.